0: to
1: another episode of Trope Stormers, your titular travels through the world of tropes in the media. As always, I'm Chris Jeeves, and I'm ably assisted by my co-host, Mr. Jim Carberg. How are you doing, sir?
0: Hello there, sir. Yeah, we're I'm 10. Ready? 10. 10th
1: episode, double figures. What, what should we be doing as, like, at the age of 10, or 10 fine episodes?
0: Uh, well, we should be sort of watching, just about watching films we, we're not supposed to see. It is at um... that point. I think I watched Terminator 2 around the age of 10. I think there was a shocking revelation about Santa. Oof. Maybe Spo- Spoiler alert earlier. right there. What about the Easter bunny? You find out about the birds and the bees at this time, and apparently how they have sex with each other. Exactly. Um, so. <laughs> and that's how wasps are made. True story. You heard it here first, folks. Trope Storm is exclusive.
1: So yeah, 10 episodes in already. And uh, I, think we, I think we're still getting better. Like uh, We're getting into our rhythm, maybe. I don't know.
0: We actually can celebrate with some listener correspondence, I believe, Chris. We can indeed. Johnny
1: has reached out to us. I believe uh, Johnny is from London town in the UK. And he uh, he was listening to our Zombieland podcast. If you haven't heard it, go back and check it out. It's one of our more recent ones. Uh, and I think at one point you and I were trying to work out what exactly a Twinkie was. Uh, neither of us have... Um, partaken in eating one. They're not readily available here in England. But uh Johnny uh, reliably informs me that uh Twinkies are small sponge cylinders filled with vanilla cream. Should be great, but the sponge is dry and the cream is flavorless. Uh, Johnny goes on to say he got one last time he was over in America purely because of Zombieland.
0: Nice. Well, hot, hot take on wasps from yourself and hot take on Twinkies from man of the world johnny there so yeah thanks mate for getting in touch
1: yep and if anyone would like to get in touch we'd love to hear from you uh, it's real straightforward we're on all the social media platforms at Tropestormers. and we also have our own e- uh, email address which is trope at gmail.com and there's also the brianstormers.net website which we share with our father podcast half-life of brian
0: indeed indeed yeah even though we started
1: first <laughs> yeah we're the originals
0: well, that's in true sort of grandfather
1: paradox style, I suppose, isn't it? I see what you've done there, sir. I like that nice little uh, breadcrumb trail that we're starting to lay down here. Oh, oh sure is. So, uh, so our tonight's film. I don't know if uh, if we actually promised to do something around the 10 film mark. If, uh, if we did previously, apologies, we've completely reneged on it. But uh, I think we should still hold on to our dream of covering the room at uh, some point soon. Uh, maybe that could be like a 25th special. It's got to be a biggie. It's going to, it might even run to multiple pods. It's, so, there's just so much to cover. It might have to be like a best of 10 or something rather than a best of uh, four. Spin off. Indeed. So last time out on our storm in a tea break, we did 80s action heroes and the leading, uh, man in this caper that we're about to do tonight very much sits squarely in that pantheon, that canon. Uh, I think he was name-checked as well on the climb up uh, Mount Olympus that we did. Um, he was at the sort of
0: mid, the mid point, I guess, sort of three, three quarters of the way, sort of uh, you know Shackleton uh, point. He, he kind of reached, I think. You know, he's pretty high up there, but he wasn't at the zenith that we he were was thinking not, about. No. When we were thinking about 80s action. He's kind of a a sort of poor relation, I, I, sadly, to to the guy who reached the top, which of course was. Herr Schwarzenegger himself.
1: Well, shall I, uh, shall I wet your appetite with some juicy little factoids, which might give away, uh, his identity and maybe the film. So, uh, this man studied classical ballet for five years. He w- admitted that he learned to speak English by watching the Flintstones cartoon. This one might be more of a giveaway. He was a member of the 1979 Belgium team, which, uh, won the European team championships and European midweight karate championships in his late teens. I mean, so, if you had it in the Flintstones, well done. Well That's done.
0: Prob- that probably has
1: given that away there. Uh, and how about this one? Uh, we mentioned the great Chuck Norris, and we did sort of come up with some of his facts. Uh, this man was a one-time sparring partner of the great Chuck Norris in his 80s heyday and pomp, which led to him You're being s- cast in miss- Missing in Action.
0: You only spar one
1: time with, with Chuck, that most people. I mean, the fact that he survived and lived to tell the tale and had a career afterwards is... I mean, it's testament to what we're dealing with here.
0: True story, actually, isn't Belgium? He's he's from uh, he's from Birmingham. Oh right. He got he got got a roundhouse kick to the head and believed he was from Brussels.
1: Makes perfect sense.
0: That's the the Chuck effect.
1: (laughs) He was also the inspiration for the character Johnny Cage from the film uh, from the computer game, sorry, uh, Mortal Kombat. uh, After they were inspired by uh, his character Frank Dux in Bloodsport doing a splits punch, which was also adopted by the video game. It can be none other than. John Claude and his damn van. I mean John Claude Van damme
0: <laughs> Yeah, Van full of cause, based on uh <laughs> recent work.
1: Uh he was also yeah. uh, lined up to play Predator, as in The Monster in Predator.
0: Yeah, because I think initially the the idea behind the Predator before it became this hulking mass of weird like crab faces and and muscles, um, was, was that it was a more sort of lean kind of stealthy, stalky looking thing. Um but oh, I, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll put some imagery up. But the concept art for the original and the costume for the original Predator just looked like a like a, a greyhound with half a face. <laughs> okay, well, that's an image to work
1: with. Um, would you say then that Predator went on to uh, eclipse that and become quite a uh, an iconic alien uh, figure?
0: Well, I think didn't they call someone because I think they called someone in who worked with Jim Cameron or. I could, that could be wrong quite closely but it was a, a specialist um sort of body horror effects uh team to come in and create the creature and they basically had this idea of this with like the, the kind of half-life head for a face uh and then it kind of went from there and then this kind of hunter uh warrior culture kind of developed from from that point on mm, fair enough so yeah but,
1: but we digress so I think we, we've established it's for Muscles from Brussels, and this, this might be the high water uh, mark in his career, this film. I think it kind of took a, a bit of a nosedive after this point, post-1994.
0: He had, he had a bit of a renaissance recently with, um, well, renaissance is probably a bit strong, but he was in The Expendables. <laughs> oh, he was only in um, the second Expendables. Oh, really? He didn't get mm. into the, maybe, oh, he's a oh, Too good for Expendables one. Apparently, he uh,
1: he snubbed the first one. He didn't think it would work. And I think they drafted in uh, Delflundrum instead.
0: Uh, interesting. Yeah. He was, he was too busy poncing up a mountain and chasing after beer, I think. I mean, it pays the bill. Sure, why not? He was up a literal mountain. We were talking about a figurative one, but he actually was up a mountain. I mean, it might have been a green screen and some an ice machine, but sure. Yeah, just roundhouse kicking the tops of bottles. Precisely.
1: The film that we're alluding to uh, was based on the Dark Horse comic book series of the same name. It was the second film to gross over $100 million, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme after Universal Soldier. Apparently there was a short-run uh, TV spin-off. I don't know if it made it onto your radar. It certainly didn't make it onto mine. '97, no. But um, it's, it's
0: the sort of thing that would, would work for TV, I think. It probably if you had it now now we're in the age of the box set i think this probably would have would have stood the test of time this sort of concept
1: i think if it was done done well and done right for sure um it even got a sequel which apparently was straight in the uh dvd uh woolly's bargain bin um never to see the light of day we are of course talking about time cop time cop 2 the berlin decision i wonder what that's about something something berlin i don't
0: know i had it up let me let me find it this is this is pretty great the wikipedia entry yeah listen to this this synopsis time cop brandon wants to change history and tries to travel back in time to berlin during the nazi era to kill off adolf hitler somebody's really uh really learned how to write a blurb there imagine what the script is like Yeah, apparently music composed by Andy Gray. (laughs) The Andy Gray. (laughs) Who's to say? I mean, what you know, 2003. I don't think he was still doing the Skywork by then. But uh, yeah, classic uh, Nazi-era kill Adolf Hitler time paradox.
1: The one that everyone's always wanted to make but is too afraid of making in case they get it wrong. Or in the Woolies bargain bin. In the Woolies bargain bin. And even that doesn't exist
0: anymore. We're talking about um, not the Time Cop 2. We're talking about uh, Time Cop, which is set in... um, well, it starts US? present day.
1: It starts present day, like the bit when he's walking in the mall with his girlfriend, who's from Ferris Bueller, who is played by Mia Sara. Um, yes, yeah, I think it's set in present day. It's like 1994. So set when the film was released and then all of the future stuff is like 2004. So we're in a little bit of a kind of back to the future scenario here where, you know, we don't have uh, flying DeLoreans or flying hoverboards or time travel. And we've been led up the same garden path by Timecock, which has been promising well mullets kind of came back around that time but uh we ain't got no time travel
0: yeah you know mullet's not a great showing is it really
1: i mean depends, depends who you asked if you're in like trendier parts of hackney you can definitely rock a mullet
0: we're, we're at the 80s now we're well into 1994 the era of take that and Britpop. pop
1: well you say that um, but i kind of feel like the eight the 90s had a massive 80s hangover and i think whereas in britain we shook it off quite quickly I think it lingered a lot
0: longer in the States. Arnold Schwarzenegger was still a big ticket item, wasn't he? He was, he was, he was big money. Last Action Hero was the year before. Yeah. So you had Last Action Hero, which didn't do brilliantly well critically, but um, it's it's, it's a film I like. I like the, it was, came at quite the right time, I think, as to be like a sort of parody of himself, which he's pretty good in, uh, in my opinion. But yeah, you've come off the back of the almighty Terminator 2 in 1990 and the, the decade before. Yeah, dominated the, the the action movie. So uh, I think you're right. is a pretty a good way of putting it. And you've had Robocop, as mentioned, in the storm in a tea break. And you'd also had the success of the two Terminator films. I think they were kind of scrabbling about looking for... <laughs> Do you think there was like an ad exec
1: somewhere? Or like, there was like a meeting of like ad execs um, and A&R guys now like, seriously, Schwarzenegger is so hot right now. I mean, did you see Terminator? Oh, my God. Like... We, we got to do something. We got to find a guy. We need to get our own Schwarzenegger. We get me some muscle bound kick ass guy with a hammy accent and let's shoehorn him into a movie. And time cop yeah, will so There's like a
0: Venn diagram somewhere with, uh, with time travel, science fiction, uh, cop. <laughs> <just> there. <laughs> How many circles and are in the Venn diagram? <laughs> Uh, I've got more. I've got
1: more circles,
0: <laughs> and then there was. Uh...
1: <laughs> is it just a collision of circles? Is that what this is? It's just a clusterfuck of circles.
0: Yeah, it basically spells out Jean Claude Van Damme in each one. Because yeah, they're, they're basically looking for a sort of Poundland version of, of Arnie, weren't they? With this, that they could they could try and market and Kung Fu. That's another circle. They could you know put Kung Fu in there. Oh, um, that's 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 the string on his bow, which
1: Arnie didn't have. Arnie can like lift things good. He's not a human Swiss Army knife, put it that way.
0: Because I mean, I, that sounds like I'm I'm discrediting Jean Claude Van Damme uh, here, or JVD to his friends, as we as I say, we call each other, not each other, but uh, I call. Them <laughs> <each other>. um, <laughs> Your story's unraveling before my ears. <laughs> yeah, he. This guy is flexible, man. He can he can do some serious splits and punch you in the balls. And
1: yeah, I mean, we're trying to break records for like most splits and most roundhouse kicks in a film in the same way that. But... Uh, hot shots part two tried to up the kill count um this was just purely like right what have we got what's our usp people we've landed this belgian bloke what can he do oh, he's, he's pretty badass like oh, hey come in the room john Jean. john Jean, john claude come in the room come in the room do the roundhouse kick thing but don't kick him in the face yeah just get as close as you can oh my god that's amazing we need to put that in the film oh wait 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 wait, wait. let me just get these two chairs here we go okay uh Jean claude do the splits thing i, I kind of feel like yeah. that, that was how the meeting went
0: shot for shot well, more Roundhouse and Splits talk later because it does come up quite a lot. But yeah, he's got that in his locker. I suppose we better talk plot, really, because we've got our Time Cop, influenced by Robocop, Terminator, the Dark Horse comic. As with any time travel media, we've got a time machine. We've got all the staples. We've got a time machine. We've got a series of paradoxes. We've got some things that have to be fixed, right? We do. We also have
1: um, the lost the lost love or the lost part of his life. the uh, have a dead wife who's he's sort of... Feels like he's got to avenge in some way, shape or form. Sort of like shows him as a broken character.
0: To kick this all off, the opening of the film starts with basically one of the quickest explanations of universe building and time travel I've I've ever experienced. I know in in recent films, people have invented time travel really quickly. Man, this guy, just basically, uh, he's called Spotter, is he? I don't know what he is. Is he like a government agent?
1: He's not really explained. He's just kind of... I guess he's kind of working for like DARPA or something like that, like experimental Demon. weapons division. And uh yeah, they just have this like mass, like very brief exposition where they try and throw in as much sort of slightly carefully thought out and scripted time travel explanation stuff to just like, okay, we've got this out of the way. Now let's do time Cup! Um and just sort of launch into it. The way they explain it is uh you can't go into the future because it hasn't happened yet. So, uh, that's being the timeline is malleable. Um, and, uh, it's like throwing a stone in a lake and there are ripples, except they're ripples in time. They
0: really did not need to add that last bit, did they?
1: Well, they do because then it goes really (laughs) meta. And then when they time travel, it's like ripples in space. Come on. Someone was really proud of that. They were like, oh my God, (laughs) there's so many layers to this. You know someone patted themselves on the
0: back of job well done at that point it is a bit of a film that without saying too much it is a bit of a film that probably thinks it's a bit cleverer than it is
1: yeah like or, someone or, someone someone was probably writing like in their head was accepting their um their oscar for script best screenplay or best adapted screenplay
0: i need your clothes your boots and you to subscribe to the Tropes stormers podcast Do it now. Well, looks like it's time for Chris's first trope.
1: So for my first trope, I'm going to be uh, picking up on what we discussed in the uh, Storm in a Tea Break, which was all about the 80s action hero. So I'm going to be looking at Jean-Claude Van Damme's character Max Walker and seeing how he fits in as our sort of lead protagonist and how he measures up in an action hero sense because he's not an 80s action hero he's a 90s action hero so he's he's matured a little bit things are a little bit different in the 90s uh phones don't require backpacks was it 1994 The Sony PlayStation has just been released in Japan you know things are happening wow so yeah um I would describe him as uh, a badass. Um, he's not a survivor. He's definitely a badass. I'd say. Would you agree?
0: Yeah, there's too there's too much like showboating going on for him to be just like a kind of, you know, just getting by. Cause yeah. He, he, yeah, he just there's that there's that bit at the start, isn't there, where he um he, he meets with an, like an old time boxer and just takes his head off with a kick, pretty much. Yeah,
1: yeah, pretty much i mean that whole scene that was like opening uh, we said before the uh, tape was rolling the um the sort of confederacy intro and the super fast exposition kind of are a bit of an odd juxtaposed blur but then you've actually got this pretty cool scene um that they let unfold at quite a nice pace where um max walker's um partner has basically abused the time travel technology to go back in time and make a load of money on the stock exchange before the Wall Street crash of nineteen twenty-nine, and I, I quite, I just quite enjoyed that scene. Like, I, it was, it was a fun scene. Like, it was, it was one of the better scenes I thought in the movie. It was given sort of time and space to breathe. It didn't feel pressured, and I thought the performances were quite strong. And there was also like a really good action set piece with um, John Claude Van Damme basically taking apart a whole load of goons. And then when they uh jump out the window and time travel through midair. I thought that was all pretty cool. And then like how justice was dispensed in a very Judge Dredd star way.
0: Um I thought that was quite a cool opening. Yeah, because there's a lot of like anachronistic stuff in there as well, isn't there? Like he's, he's, he takes he turns off the old wireless and puts on a Walkman, uh, which we still got um in in the future, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um and um then he 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 pulls out this fantasy weapon. There's a lot of good fantasy weapons in this. Yeah, but uh, he's like, absolutely useless with this weapon. It's like, like the wrong weapon in the wrong hands.
1: He's, he's butters with his, uh, it's like almost like comedy, like how, how he manages to miss Van Damme so many times.
0: Yeah, for a fellow time cop.
1: Yeah, yeah. he's, he's definitely in the sort of flat foot sort of, uh, brand of, uh, police enforcement
0: compared to Van
1: Damme. He's so, yeah, one too many donuts.
0: Yeah, it comes after some quite, quite cool time travel bits with the, um, the confederacy like you say the the guy just taking apart a platoon of old confederate soldiers with mm. twin twin uzis as well um, does.
1: and there's, there's a lot of laser point guns in this i think they must have got a job lot of like guns with laser sights there's uh, there's a lot of dot laser action going on just spray paint a load of sega lock-ons <laughs> oh man we could do a whole thing about sega lock-ons uh, my friend had one, and I was very envious as a child. Sega lock-on <laughs> for those of uh, don't get, that reference doesn't really land. Was there's um, another reference that might not land very well. Um, laser Quest or Laser Tag—I think they call it in America. There was like a home version that you had, could get made by Sega, where you got the guns and the headsets, and you could run around shooting each other with laser guns. Hours of fun. I uh, think
0: they were those headsets were inspired by um, Universal Soldier as well.
1: I think yeah, it was a very Universal Soldier vibe because they've got the little over one eye sort of target monocle thing going on.
0: Yeah, yeah, like like Van Damme himself. Indeed. So yeah, that was that was just my way of roping us back there to um, to Time Cop.
1: Nice, you've 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 been the lighthouse once again. Uh, off I went rowing in a tangent, and uh, you brought me back to shore, sir. So. Um, so we've got our badass uh, action hero, and his story arc does sort of mirror a lot of there is a kind of um, a final battle face-off later in the film um, where he comes up against the big bad, which is played by uh, Ron Silver, um, who I don't believe is with us anymore, um, who plays a corrupt senator who time travels back in time to further his own political ends uh, with some some interesting, uh, it's quite interesting how they do the, um, because they've gone completely the other way in this to Back to the Future, for example, where, it's imperative that you do not meet or interact with your past future self. Um, you can basically like go timey-wimey and tore a high, a hole in the space-time continuum. Um, whereas in this, there's a lot of interaction between past and future selves. The golden rule here is, and this is underscored, there's a lo- massive foreshadowing here with just don't touch each other. Um, as they say, matter cannot occupy two places in space at the same time. They basically can't occupy the same point in space at the same time. And we can we can come back to that later on because that scene in itself is fantastic.
0: Yeah. It's uh it's pretty great. So yeah, the first the first trope is the we've got our our action hero and like any hero of the piece, there's gotta be a cause, there's gotta be a, a quest of sorts to go on. And um, with um, Max Walker in Time Cop, we know that he's, he lost his wife in the opening scene where you have the biggest explosion from a single piece of C4 I've ever seen. Like It just, just obliterates his house. Oh, can
1: we, be, um, there's something about the special effects and um, makeup team. I don't know what they were doing in the 90s, but there's an awful lot of blood in this film, very liberally applied far more than it needs to at one point i think Van bandam has a blood beard because he's clean shaven but he has like a proper beard of like stubble for no reason also when that house explodes he's standing mere feet away from it and it knocks him flying yet somehow burnt no just a beard blood um it's yeah <laughs> yeah i think the special effects people and the makeup team are just having fun with this
0: he gets given um, a reason to, to become a time cop, I suppose, in the sense that, you know, he's had this injustice happen to him. Um, but he never goes back and, and tries to change things because that, that's the noble thing to do. But he gets kind of a, a bad vibe about this, um, this one particular uh, politician.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's, well, the whole way through, the politician is sort of painted as kind of a bit sort of creepy and... Uh... You're not really sure what his agenda is, because he wants to shut down the whole the whole time travel division of the uh, police department, because it turns out that he's got his own, he's got the prototype. And if he shuts it down, then he's basically got carte blanche to just change time as he sees fit without any time cops interfering. Which is pretty handy. Yeah, I mean, it would work well to sort of like further his ends, for sure.
0: So our boy Max Walker, Belgian-accented Max Walker, he has a a, a bad feeling about this yeah and uh, solo style and so what does he what did he choose to do how does he go about his uh, action heroing he plays by the rules a lot this guy he's not really one to sort of just go
1: about it on his own way like he just gets because he has his own boss and his boss sends him on a series of missions and he kind of just like follows the line he doesn't uh he doesn't really go rogue particularly i think the most rogue he goes is he uh goes home one night drinks a bottle of booze badly uh mimes along with some homemade videos and then uh somehow outrageously fights off some kung fu masters in his boxer shorts
0: with a hangover yeah they're, they're those knife, there's like knife fights weren't there and they they were quite uh interesting there's a lot of the fight scenes in this for saying he's 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 like quite a competent martial artist i think a lot of the editing kind of Takes a lot of kind of the skill out of the the fights of these because there were points. I mean, admittedly, I was watching it on a fairly dodgy source. Some of the some of the 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 fight choreography, you kind of lose place of where where the knives are, where the arms are, where the where the and then you just a roundhouse kick will come out of nowhere, and that's the end of that.
1: It goes a bit Michael Bay. You sort of lose the thread of what the uh, the action's doing.
0: I get the feeling like Jackie Chan would be having kittens.
1: He wouldn't be happy. Yeah, no, that that knife fight scene um, when he's in his boxers is. I think it's the guy who he's fighting clearly has the upper hand at one point, yet still continues to just attack in the same way that makes it really easy to defend against. There's like no sort of uh variety to the attack. There's kind of a, a weird sort of simmering tension between Jean-Claude Van Damme and uh Senator McComb, but it's not massively sort of explained. It's just you feel like uh, Van Damme has a bad feeling about him and they sort of exchange a few sort of spiked words. Um, And I think it just boils down to him, Jean-Claude Van Damme being quite headstrong and believing in uh, the TEC who he works for um, as the time cops and the police of time. And what's this senator guy coming in uh, who everyone's kissing his ass because, oh, he might be the president or whatever uh, in the future. And they've got to sort of pay deference to him uh and this guy's kind of trying to swing his weight around and shut them down
0: he is implicated by atwood's confession who was the the rogue cop in wall street who Mm -hmm. was trying to make money for his presidential campaign so very early on we know what the motivations of uh the the villain of the piece is who will come on to in a little while and and he he
1: can't he can't prove it because as he says uh his evidence is gone because they have a uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Max Walker and the senator kind of exchange heated words, don't they? But, uh, Van Damme says, Oh, my evidence just died or whatever, because his, uh, his partner immediately got found guilty by the justice division, the court of three. And, uh, he was trying to get him to speak up, wasn't he? He was like saying, say something, say something. And the guy was like, oh, I'm not going to say anything. And he's like, goodbye sort of thing. And then, uh, then he gets executed, uh, falling through the
0: sky. So how does um how does our action hero fit the archetype then? Uh, what, he, what what does he do? What does he look like? What does he Well in terms of the archetype, um let's let's play a nice
1: little tick box ex- exercise for you here. Uh is he male tick? Almost always American. Ooh, here we go. See now we're into Vianney territory again where they've basically gone exotic and uh Belgium is part of the same landmass as Austria, so pretty much the same you know they kind of sound sort of similar in a sort of Germanic Flemish English kind of hybrid kind of a way um haircut wise he's gone big mullet so he's definitely in the rigsy camp here I feel uh he's not yep, in the soil proof of... not mullet proof oh I like that yes sir. I think that could be the uh <laughs> <laughs> that could be the as we usually say at the end there um he does have the uh the perma stubble uh that you could probably light a match on um He's a police officer. He's an elite martial artist. He will fight dirty because he will punch someone in the balls whilst doing the splits. Uh, Max Walker is a pretty basic name. He has a dead girlfriend, dead wife, should I even say, who was pregnant, just to sort of compound it further. Um, and he does use a variety of uh incredible one-liners. Um And he drives... Well, I wouldn't say a cool car. I'd say, <laughs>
0: <laughs> what did you describe it as? Well, the I, Homer was, I car. was pondering, yeah. The, the best way I could describe this was when Homer Simpson designed his own car. So I just put in the notes, Homer car, and then circled it. It looks just, oh my God, it just looks like if Optimus Prime like just had had a few and just transformed <laughs> badly. You've it sadly. You nailed it. Oh my God, it just looks terrible. We're supposed to be driving around in them in 2004. I mean, there were some naff cars in
1: 2004, but that takes the biscuit. We won't obviously score him as a as an action hero trope just yet, but I feel a strong case. Um, but any action hero is not worth their salt uh, without having some sort of uh, a nemesis to work against. The yin, the yin and the yang, something that completes them. It's time for Jim's first trope.
0: Yeah, so my first trope is a the villain. We've got the the the, the card carrying villain of the piece, who um, is it quite an interesting one, is it? Because I think he's one of the be- one of the better elements of the film, really. One of the stronger uh, actors. Yeah, he's, he's 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 good. He's quite he's quite snarky, sassy. Um, but
1: there's he's, he's got he goes on a bit of a journey because he doesn't start that way, or at least his past self isn't portrayed that way. And as you were saying um, before we got the tape rolling. His future self, when he confronts himself, is quite mean. He's, he's
0: mean to himself. Yeah, he's like, do me a fucking favour, lay off the candy bars and things like that. Um, just really, really, really horrible because he's... I think his past self has all these ambitions still, but you've got this, this nice contrast between his future sort of jaded, cynical self who, who has all the knowledge of the future and just comes back to get the job done, and then this sort of rabbit-in-the-headlights type character who's not quite as cynical and jaded and evil perhaps as his, his future self is um, but yeah he's, he's he's basically part of this kind of conspiracy this time conspiracy that he that he, he manufactures for himself um, to to become um you, the, the the president of the united states so imagine that so imagine that chris a, a psychopathic president of the united states if you
1: were, um, I don't know if such a thing could exist. You know, I mean, the mind, the mind boggles. No yeah, one, would so, have, no one ever get to uh, top office with that sort of personality uh,
0: trait. Surely, no. It's not. It's, you know, I can only suspend my disbelief so far. We've got this, um, this, this villain played by uh, Ron Silver in Senator, soon to be President, we're led to believe, or presidential candidate mm-hmm. Um I assume at this point he's like he's talking about being ahead in, in, in points in the polls and things like that. I assume he's campaigning. Yeah, um, and campaigning
1: is notoriously expensive, which I think is why he's kind of playing the stock market in the past to sort of line his pockets to sort of go sort of hell for lever on a presidential campaign and then keep himself there.
0: Yeah, so he actually does what, in contrast to About Time, for instance, what most people would probably threaten to do. He dreamed big, would, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, and you he just chase a girl in the dark, <laughs> and he also says the same about his um, about his past self. You know, you need a bit. You need, you need to get more ambitious, and you get more ruthless. So I think there's, there's, that interplay is really quite interesting um, be- between them. Uh, and, there's, and as a villain, the way he just sort of treats people around him, like at one point, even when he's, he's, he's being fairly civil to his um, secretary, he's like, "Have you ever seen the inside of the, the president's car?" And he's like, says something under his breath, like, I'll, I'll take a picture. He's just constantly griefing people and sat them. And, uh, he's, he's got some quite, um, good interplay between, uh, Van Damme himself, I think. Uh, and I think he, the, the film's a lot stronger actually for having him as a villain because Van Damme really is he's, he's fairly one note, isn't he? He's quite wooden. He doesn't have an awful lot of range. He
1: hasn't got great acting chops, but. Uh, Ron Silver, he did put in a good performance. Um with we with not, you know, the greatest of scripts as we said previously. Um but no, he sort of he steals the scenes that he's in. Like you are sort of drawn to him and we are sort of we do sort of for one of a better way it's kind of like you, you you're booing and hissing him you know you kind of Rrr. i really hope he gets his comeuppance you know sort of thing like he plays villain well
0: i mean one one a key to a villain because we've, we've talked about villains in the past but i think one key thing for a successful villain is to have a convincing to be british to be british yeah that's actually screw this he's he's failed on that count <laughs> um, or even like you know give it a, give it
1: a good go with a dick dyke esque accent
0: yeah, at least twiddle your tash. He has got a little bit of facial hair. You could at least just do a little bit of a, a sort of Terry Thomas style twiddle of that. Um, so, yeah, um, I think one key thing is like the, the motivations. He wants to become president. He wants to, he, he believes he can shape the country. He even talks about, you know, making the top 10% richer uh, in the country. So he, he talks about his kind of hopes and dreams. So there's actually a motive behind The evil things that he he does because he's just talking about blowing people away nonchalantly you know i don't know what the difficulty is you just point the trigger um and they're gone he's kind of like
1: reaganism and neoliberalism on steroids you know when he's talking about basically just like pushing the capitalist agenda to sort of because yeah you're right he says he likes make the top 10 percent richer and then everyone else can basically just go to mexico i think those are his exact words wall or no wall
0: yeah, America. there's a party in it called America for Americans as well, I think. So, um, I don't know, maybe Time Cops ahead of its time. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's actually like a, a warning from the past. Oh, I like that. I like that. Um, yeah, so I think as, as a villain, you know, he's got a, a reason for his evil actions. Um, what he actually does in terms of a, a, a plan, um, he's got lots of henchmen. As well to help him carry out this plan. And and Um, henchmen they are, aren't they? Yeah, it's just seeming you've got like this army of endless disposable goons that seem to.
1: There's kind of two that are sort of mainstays, uh, like the bebop and Rocksteady of the piece. Um, One of which, I don't even know if he has any dialogue, he's just big and sort of ugly. And he's a bit, he's kind of like the hound in stature and appearance, but uglier and more like a, a 90s wrestler.
0: Yeah, he's the, he's the dragon, isn't he? He's the dragon of the piece to McCombs' yeah, big bad. The attack. Um, and he, he just does look like something out of WWE. You, you said he, he was like Kane without the mask on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, it's the big red machine. <laughs> yeah, time-traveling Kane. I, I'd pay a good dollar for that. <laughs> I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> yeah, so he, he's, he, he fits the bill. He's got menace. He's got henchmen. Um, he's got the right motivations he doesn't really have any sort of redeeming qualities to him at the same time so even though he's quite he's, he's got this interesting idea of being quite one note evil but quite rounded in in, in his backstory and the the, the reasons for his, his his sort of evilness and I think the way he interacts with his past self to try and promote those ideas is, is really quite interesting actually. But then could you say um,
1: in his mind he does have sort of a good justification for what he's doing? because he's a politician so he's obviously well, he's obviously a democrat or a republican probably more of a democrat or which one's which one's the one Trump is I always get this republican. wrong. he's, he's a, republican. a republican okay this guy might be a bit more republican then but yeah I, I kind of get a feeling that he's probably got sort of political leanings ideologically that sort of justify I mean he's he's pretty card carrying even if he's on the wrong passport
0: I like that we'll take that going forward well how about that? that's Chris's second Trump thank you for listening
1: now in time travel movies, um quite a lot of attention is it's either often played to the the science and the the method, the vehicle of the time travel itself, or it's kind of just like glossed over. I mean, I'm I'm thinking here, you've got your TARDIS, time and relative dimensions in space, um, a police box, uh a DeLorean, um uh, what else have we got? Uh, a hot tub. have got the Bill and
0: Ted. Um,
1: a phone box, box. another phone box so phone box is doing pretty well out of this so far you've got like a homemade sun, sun uh, thing uh, in primer in like a storage facility that's a very lo-fi um, version um, in, in Terminator it's not really explored they just sort of appear in like this big ball of static electricity and take a big yeah, one out really of cool. the ground yeah i think that's kind of i think i'm more on board with there not being necessarily a vehicle so much i think the vehicle i don't know i mean it works in a lot of these like it's it's an ex- eccentricity of like doc brown in uh back to the future for example it's an ex- eccentricity of the doctor and forms part of the backstory because the tardis is damaged so it doesn't blend in with its surroundings like it should um and in bill and ted who cares it's bill and ted um and hot tub time machine, it's you know, it's it's outrageously silly because that's part of the movie. The movie is a very flippant, tongue-in-cheek, aware piss take um, parody of time travel. to bring up Bernard's watch. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that's just a watch. I mean, that just that is almost perfect for Captain Mundane himself, Bernard. Bernard, the basic bitch with no imagination. You can tell I'm not his biggest <laughs> fan.
0: <laughs> so he just gets a watch. Lame old Bernard. We've got competition for the, the, the last, um, <laughs> <laughs> as we always say, <laughs> the sign off. <laughs> it might have to just be like a, a, a slew of them. <laughs> I do
1: like as a side note, like how we've, it's become like you do be as we always say. And then there's like goodbye. And then there's a few seconds and then there's something else like at the very deaf. Like that, that makes me laugh. Um, a nice, nice little Easter egg in every episode for people. Yeah. So then we come to time cop which I think gets caught in two minds here because I th- I don't know maybe whether they thought they'd go in one direction with this and ended up going in another and ended up mishmashing a few concepts together. Basically what happens is they get in, it's a two-person operation. It's housed on site at the police station, which is probably in a civilian area, which throws up all sorts of health and safety issues. It was the 90s, no one cares. So they go into this sort of very concrete sea bunker-like place, which they even acknowledge is budget-conscious, because it's time travel and it's expensive, and they get on what is like the world's shortest uh, drag run with a rocket-propelled little sort of um, fighter jet-type thing, but they basically very slowly accelerate with lots of fire towards a block of concrete and what looks like a giant magnet.
0: It's like a big it, keyhole, isn't it?
1: That's it, weird. Oh, maybe maybe that's for maybe it's the key, for key through the lock of time. Maybe we're just post-rationalizing and crediting them with things they never really thought of.
0: That was definitely on the the, the, the pitch for what the time machine should look like.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, in that same like exact thing when they've got like the uh, flip chart out and they're just drawing things and it's on the Venn
0: diagram. It.
1: <laughs> oh the clusterfuck. Um so yeah, before it hits the uh the concrete wall, it basically seems to go through Like, I don't know, time stretches visually and it looks like a ripple, like we alluded to previously, like a puddle with ripples, concentric circles emanating outwardly, and then they disappear. Where
0: they go go through like a Snapchat filter.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. You're using (laughs) references that our younger audience will get. That's the key demographic that we're targeting on this podcast. Yeah, I
0: use Chat Snap. Okay, moving swiftly on.
1: The problem, what's really problematic is when they come out the other side in the past where the people are ejected from the puddle um but this the vehicle the weird fighter craft thing that they were in it's disappeared no explanation is given as to where it's gone and even more confusingly when they re-enter the future somehow they're back in the craft how anyone gets all of us to marry up i mean why not just bin off the craft or have the craft come back
0: in time with them. It doesn't really make sense. Because they can seem to transport themselves through time. I mean, McComb goes through, he doesn't use it to go through time, seemingly. I don't know how he gets through. He seems to just use the little box thing that they used to go back. Well, he has, yeah,
1: because he has like the prototype and that's how he's been able to tap travel through time undetected. But not much more is sort of said about that. And you're right, they do have like a little ziggy type thing that kind of gets them back to where they need to be in the future um one thing i also thought was they make no attempt whatsoever to blend in with their surroundings when they go back in time they go back to 1920s new york and he's dressed in like he's from the 80s but he like you'd stick out like a sore thumb like there's no attempt made to blend in
0: like it's yeah it's it's we another level. Time, time enforcement commission on his uh on his jacket wherever he goes
1: <laughs> yeah right. like that's going to like hold some weight in 1920s new york
0: <laughs> i looked this up what, what the tec also stands for you've got um the um traffic engineering control and uh teens encounter christ nice group. christian youth group in texas i think
1: great and then an offshoot would be the trade union uh, council i suppose well, it's TUC, isn't it <laughs>
0: So it's a long been a long day when you can't spell T U C.
1: Exactly. Um, so yeah, um, I mean, space uh, space time travel wise, um, we've sort of touched on that matter can't occupy itself in two places at the same time. Uh, we've got the temporal paradoxes and the butterfly effect. Um, part of the story arc is that going back in time to set wrong a right. Um, so, and it's, the timeline is malleable, so you can go back in time and change things that affect the future. And they also actually mentioned the grandfather paradox as well, referencing um, uh, killing Hitler is in the exposition at the beginning, um, and also uh, his colleague um, Atwood in New York before he, uh, cause he wants to sort of take his own life or try and bribe um, Jean-Claude Van Damme to let him go. And he basically says, Oh, they'll they'll just go back in time and kill my grandparents so I've never existed. So it's almost like they're sort of they've done a bit of research on time travel and they're just quickly ticking a lot of boxes to sort of make us look the other way and just ignore the awful vehicle that seemingly disappears during re-entry. Um So yeah.
0: That's, that's I mean I, I don't mind the, the, the so I think the time travel element of this is is the part that works quite well. Because there's some interesting things in this, like the at one point Macomb gets kicked in the face by um, Walker and then the the scar appears on his future self Um, yeah I I felt that was maybe a bit of a
1: hackneyed way of sort of getting us to work out which was which like Jean-Claude Van Damme youthfully having a close cropped hair and in the future has grown into a mullet
0: they should have just given everyone in 2004 a mullet (laughs)
1: the future's just mullets um, and the past is all like close crops
0: so then Matuzak fielding when she comes along Atwood he should have just gone back with a with a all mullet full
1: like, like on Rixie mullets yeah 2004 the mullet's back baby mm. uh, pronounced mullet um, I mean I'm also gonna I mean I feel like we're straying into almost scoring territory here um, so maybe uh, without further ado we bring it on to our final trope now, Jim's second one
0: one thing I thought was interesting was the whole idea and the sort of central premise is the idea of like a, a time conspiracy. And as as with like most conspiracy stories, they have lots of different twists and turns. Um, so we haven't spoken about one particular char- set of characters yet. There's there's two secondary characters. There's a weird sort of pervy techie weirdo uh, who kind of like runs the 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 tech for the, the time travel. So the first thing we see of him is him just like perving at some VR porn. In imagine my that Chris. Yeah. Imagine that. You
1: say about uh, like there's sort of like a backstory that, that that happened to me. I just that did not happen to me in the workplace. It's like to underline what I do on my own time.
0: That's okay. That's okay. I'll keep that in the edit
1: at this point. <laughs> that doesn't sound incriminating or defensive <laughs> in the slightest, does it?
0: I'll just put I'll just put it somewhere more incriminating. Fantastic. All- um like I never had a mullet in two thousand and four. It was not a mullet, it was a mulet. Mulet. <laughs> a moulet in two thousand and four. So on trend. Uh yeah, so we've got two other characters. We've got um Matuzak and we've got uh Fielding, who plays the sort of that she's one of the, the few female characters in the film. You've got the, the wife character of uh, Melissa, obviously. Mm-hmm. But you've also got Fielding, who turns up after the assassination attempt on Orca. And she's quickly established as wanting to sort of, she's from internal affairs. So she's kind of anti-corruption. She's presented as this, this character who's on Max's side. And then we've also got uh, Matuzak, who's the, the head of the agency or the bureau in a, And he wears a waistcoat.
1: Um, yeah. Did you get a bit of a, um, the boss in Blade Runner vibe from Matuzak? Like, whenever they whenever they shot the scenes in the police station, I got a very sort of
0: Blade Runner vibe. Yeah, they were definitely trying to evoke a lot of sort of things they'd seen. The, the Judge Dredd call was a good one earlier. Like, the fonts were all very kind of Megacity 1 and, and Judge Dredd. And I think you're right, yeah, they've, they've kind of taken that sort of... There's a slight sort of noir element to it that they want to kind of evoke, I think, especially when, when you're in the offices. They've, they've kind of quite successfully blended that kind of like post-80s fashions with... What's going on with the the kind of noir elements that they want to kind of incorporate, and I think that's why they partly why they choose the kind of nineteen twenties scene as well. Hmm. Um, so yeah, um, but he is presented as the best friend. They're always talking about how he's eaten his uh, how do I phrase this? Eaten his wife's goulash a hundred times. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, family podcast. Um, so. Yeah, they, they, you get this idea that there's an existing relationship and there's quite an interesting bit where he comes back through time. Um, and because of events he's changed in the past, the, the people at the Bureau don't actually remember who he is. Uh, and he just has to, they, they he has to try and establish like trust quite quickly. Um, so you, you kind of led to believe that there's there's more than meets the eye with a lot of these these characters. And I think for a long time you're led to think that Matuzak's gonna be part of this time conspiracy because you're told that half the agency are in on they're on the take. Uh, on the take. Uh so you've got these two characters and you've established this kind of this is kind of girl next door, sort of rookie uh anti-corruption cop plus the head of the agency. And I think Now now I'm sounding it out, it sounds obvious what the twist is, but in the film itself, I feel it's actually quite well done.
1: Um, It comes out of left field. I mean, I I hadn't seen this film, full disclosure, I had not seen this film before. It's not part of uh, the canon of my youth. But uh, yeah, no, that that did take me by surprise. I didn't expect that. I did think that scene was going a little bit too well, um, but I wasn't expecting a double cross. I was expecting some sort of like mad fight scene to break out which it did anyway but I didn't think it was gonna it didn't play out the way I thought
0: yeah so there's a, a, a double cross element with it where Fielding who is this sweet she tell has a lot of a bit of a backstory about when she was when she was 16 it's going to be a 16th birthday soon and I kind of liked actually how they kind of dropped out of the sky into a pool
1: <laughs> yeah I uh, thought that was um like when we when we talked about time travel on the uh, storm in the tea break, I thought that was maybe quite a nice way of doing the, you travel back into another point in time, but everything's not going to be exactly where it was. So hence they sort of fell out was the sky into a massive lake of water rather than on the ground where they'd left because the earth is occupying a different point in space time. And I'm sorry if anyone's got cross-eyed and got had a nosebleed.
0: <laughs> yeah. He soaks he his, his moulet and, uh has has to crack out the old time GPS, which uh tells him where Ziggy it needs to be. Um so yeah and then it, they, they head towards this um the the place where the prototype's invented, right? Mm. Or the the cold storage. Well it's the uh, the computer computer company manufacturer
1: because um they make the CPUs um uh because um Senator McComb previously was in partnership I think with a guy who was like the tech whiz and he was kind of the uh, marketing savvy and he went back in time to write a, what he perceived to be as a misstep in his career where he signed away his share in the company but then went on to make billions of dollars. So this was like an easy play for him to make a, a load of money to help his future uh, presidential um ambitions.
0: So he contacts his past self Uh and then tells him to be at this point to collect this information that comes from the future. So he can play the stock market and fund his presidential ambitions in the future. Um, and then the two time cops turn up. There's a double cross that takes place. Um And I'm not quite sure a hundred percent how Walker survives that entirely. What that um, scene? Yeah. He just kind of, he kind I mean- of just sneaks off a little bit. He, I mean, I what are you talking
1: about? Not only does he, like, uh, use a, uh, forklift truck to make the world's slowest getaway, <laughs> he, he chooses to hide behind barrels of what turn out to be incredibly flammable liquid during a firefight.
0: Oh, yeah. Video, video game style barrels.
1: Yeah, I think there might be a, a cheeky splits in the mix as well, obviously. And, uh, he unleashes, uh, some rather choice, um roundhouse kicks and, I mean, we alluded to it before where it kind of like nods to Terminator. The liquid nitrogen uh, freezing arm scene is is purely out of a T2 playbook there, but done badly.
0: There's an interesting bit where he says, um, he he drops a catchphrase there, like a kind of James Bond style quip. Um, But he kind of does it to McComb instead, um, saying, I should have said freeze, as if he's trying to like kind of hang a lantern on the the ridiculousness of the the phases catchphrases and quips kind of like a bit post 80s um so yeah it's um it's it, it results in a like a pretty violent fight scene um and then there's just this this kind of anarchy that kind of reigns because uh, walker has been been double crossed uh and then fielding is then double crossed by McComb because he's just a card carrying bastard um so she she gets shot uh she ends up in the the, the hospital later and um McComb's successfully given the information to his former self on how to play the future stock markets so you've got this time conspiracy going on from uh the 1920s or sooner potentially um all the way through to 2004 and you've got these these rogue cops and you've got these uh rogue agents and these henchmen turn up to just come assassinate people out of nowhere. So you've got this quite this cool core idea of a, a, a time conspiracy, which um, I'm not sure how many time travel films have actually kind of gone down this kind of time crime route. There's a lot of kind of adventure stuff and there's a lot of um, sort of fantasy based Time travel stuff, but the way, things where you feature like kind of more crime settings, like Double Cross and Noir and things like that. I think it's quite an interesting concept, personally. Yeah, no, I think
1: a lot of the time it's kind of more played out within a character's own sort of story arc, isn't it? I mean, you have, I guess, in a way, Biff in Back to the Future is an incredibly corrupt character and manipulates uh, fame, fortune, and power to basically buy off the police and run a whole town, if not a whole state um in a fictionalized 1985 america but yeah you're right i mean in a way i guess a lot of people are being um a bit tim from about time or a bit bernard the basic bitch and not really dreaming big in sort of where the where their villainy could take them
0: okay well we've talked a lot there we've talked time travel heroes villains time conspiracies vr porn uh We've covered a lot there. Oh, I think it's time that we this this film has not been a basic bitch by <laughs> any means. So I think it's probably time to score it, eh?
1: I think that's that's what we're left to do. Uh so starting with the action hero tropes, I think uh on the whole, it's it's a strong a strong performance from Mr. Van Damme. Um in, in for an action movie, you know, he's He's playing the badass. He has the story arc where he's got, he's a sort of seemingly uh, wrestling with demons of his past with his dead wife. Um, he's facing off against uh, the, the big bads, which it builds up to. He's a one-man walking army. And if nothing else, visually and in terms of his personality type and character, he kind of ticks all the boxes, really. It's hard to sort of fault it
0: yeah it's it's very much that kind of like you said the eighties hangover um but do you think like does it does it stand up in the, in these days or in the, in the nineties when it came out that kind of thing did did, did you if you watch that this is the first time you watched it um did did you sort of evoke all those eighties action hero um notes for you that you were you kind of looking for when you' were approaching like a Van Damme or a, an Arnie movie or that sort of thing
1: I think it it very much did because it did feel of its time. I think the ultimate acid test um, to bring it back to uh, Austria's finest son, no not Hitler um, Schwarzenegger um, it it was the same year I believe that True Lies came out and you know that that is pinnacle of 90s action hero film. It's uh, it's not too, it's got one foot in the 80s because it's got Schwarzenegger but it still feels a bit fresher and a bit more sort of nineties and of its time because Jamie Lee Curtis's performance is a pretty badass. Um
0: Art Malik is in that as a isn't
1: he? He's a Yeah, yeah. And uh, Tia Terrorist. Tia career as well from Wayne's World. And yeah, Jamie Lee Jamie Lee Curtis is a, a bit of a um has a bit of a journey and becomes a bit of an action heroine as well. So and it also has some amazing set pieces. Um so I guess what you're what you're saying there is this Am I looking at this with a slightly romanticized 80s action hero head? Or, uh, you know, does it face off well against what action movies morphed into with Arnie? Is it a moot point? I mean, it's an action film. It's Van Damme. He's playing an action hero. I, I kind of think he hits the mark. And he hit all the archetypes, apart from the cool car. You can't have it all. I mean, maybe that's part of his like flaw. He, he drives a shit motor.
0: Okay. Okay. So we'll score him. we we'll him. Okay. Now, a, a hero is only as good as their villain. Very and, true. Uh, We looked at the, we looked at Aveline. We seemed to like him quite a bit.
1: Yeah, well, I think it was summed up quite nicely with uh, card carrying but the wrong passport. You know, he he like we said, he steals a lot of scenes. He has a a bit of a charisma, and he gets he got me certainly on board with like rallying against him
0: yeah it's it's it, it, it does it's the best acting in this film i would I, I would say uh comes from ron silver uh because he has to play two versions of himself i know van damme does the same but the 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 younger version of himself just really just gets beat the shit out of really um i think his his sort of kung fu skills came on a little bit uh over those 10 years because um, he just gets absolutely mulled every time he has to face off with somebody when he's younger um or the mullet of power, the mullet of power. With great hair great great responsibility. Exactly. Exactly. So um yeah, you've got your your villain who is, is shown in two phases, which I quite like. And one seems to really hate his former self. Or and uh which I just think is fantastic. Like as as a as a concept, just uh it's like if you've just got a job to do in time. Go back, tell this idiot what to do. Uh and then become president. I just think it's it's a very underrated kind of villain performance, really. And they, they were, I think they were trying to evoke sort of a Hans Gruber type uh, vibe, not not so camp and not so German, but they were definitely going for that sort of corporate thief type. You're nothing but a common criminal. No, you're just nothing but a petty thief. I'm an exceptional thief. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's well, it's looking good, Chris. So far, so, so far, so
1: far. Well, we didn't talk about his death. Uh, we haven't touched on the death when he becomes a gelatinous pink blob of bubblegum. When because every, every good villain needs a good death. I don't know if this was a good death. I mean, it's almost like a comedy death. Oh, so do you, you didn't like the death? Oh, no. I, I like it, but for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> I don't like it because it's like cinematic, like masterpiece of special effects. I like it because it's, it's dated terribly and just looks, looks like they might have run out of budget and, uh, the props department and CGI department just bodged it together late one night after. You know
0: mainlining too many coffees it's kind of a shame i suppose because it could do that i, I think as a as the concept of the death's quite good the rule that was you kind of it's foreshadowed quite hard throughout the film um of you you're not allowed to occupy the same space in in the, the space-time continuum um comes to fruition where van Damme actually makes some weird line about can-can dancing um before kicking him into <laughs> <laughs> it had to be a kick didn't it it had yeah. to
1: be like it's either that we did the splits and somehow that knocked him into himself
0: yeah so i i goes i suppose the execution of the death is quite ropey the concept villain, we're kind of glad to see him get his comeuppance and the actual concept of the death itself is actually is pretty cool uh throughout it uh all right uh now I sense a bit of a a time spanner in the works here when we're looking at science and hokey science and the kind of, the mechanics of all this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I do try and sort of, with the exposition at the beginning and some like throwaway lines of dialogue, like the grandfather paradox, killing Hitler, um, the story arc of going back to put right what was made wrong, the sort of butterfly effect. I mean, a lot of this stuff is, very kind of uh time travel 101 Uh, they haven't sort of completely brushed over it in a sort of timey whiny doctor who sense but again they haven't sort of like nailed it head on it's kind of like they're in a halfway house where it's kind of you feel like you should either invest one way or the other and and with that awful sort of technology for the traveling back in time and the disappearance of a weird white shuttle thing yeah, it leaves me a bit flat and and if you need any more convincing, um there's even the uh the pushing of the big red button to make the time machine work, which I think, you know, should be a, a death nail for anything. Big dead horse red button. Big okay. dead red horse
0: button. Uh all right, so that's uh it's not looking good for the the science of it, even with the uh the the foreshadowed death. Um, yeah. and I'm gonna throw in the Homer car because that's a piece of technology as well. So Oh god, yeah that's it kill it
1: with fire um, <laughs> so yeah that's 2-1 that's so uh on to your final uh, trope could sir
0: yes i suppose it's the idea of the the double cross time conspiracy um i think that, i think if i'm talking about whether, what 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 i like about this film and and the problems i have with this film i think it has some very 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 strong scenes and some very strong ideas but then it kind of gets mired with some sort of clunky pacing and there are just some scenes that go on way too long um because it could be much shorter this film it sags doesn't it In It in the middle and i think that
1: sagging kind of made me my sort of attention wander a little bit um from what i thought was a fairly strong opening an interesting premise um but yeah by the time of a sort of the final sort of scene I was kind of done with it I'm not gonna lie I wasn't yeah. I wasn't super invested
0: yeah because I mean up until that it gets interesting again kind of around the sort of the, the double cross which is what I, I kind of mentioned along with the is kind of like the focal point of the the whole conspiracy you know that i layer layers and layers of trickery and and um politics uh, stemming across the decades so I don't know for me, does it it's kind of, how convincing for you is, is that as an idea? Because I, I quite liked, I, I, I think I'm coming out quite defensive on this film because I, I, I quite liked the fact that they built up two sets of characters uh, and one of which, either one of which could have double-crossed him at the same time.
1: Well, there's a kind of red herring in, his, uh, in the police chief.
0: Because there's that very obvious scene where it's like, do you believe me? And Walker kind of says in a kind of sarcastic way, I Believe You. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. About, Have you been bought by uh, the senator? Um, so, yeah, I, for me, I, I kind of... That whole thing where it starts off with that scene with the, the Confederacy, you kind of get the idea that people are doing this throughout time, then it goes to the 20s, and you see the part of the conspiracy in the 20s, and then there's the double crossing in uh, 1994. I think, bar quite a few problems with pacing and things like that, it, it just about manages to... Hold this kind of interesting narrative together, but you, you, I don't know whether you disagree or not. You seem well, to switch off. I, I mean,
1: I did. Um, but then also that whole opening scene with the Confederacy stuff, uh, and the, the guy with the Uzi stealing the bullion that turns out to be used by some German terrorists to buy arms, I think, from the Middle East. And they get rumbled because the gold bullion is stamped from 1929 or whatever. And that's, that's something that's not really explored that's quite interesting is, you know, how, I think mean, you touched on it, um, how come other people, you know, because they were really worried to the Americans that other people were going to develop this technology or steal the technology. And then it seems that other people have got the technology. So who's policing other countries' time? Are there time cops there? Are there time cops? Is Van Damme's TEC, team policing the world in a sort of Team America kind of way? Um And then wouldn't that open a can of worms with whatever changes the Germans were making to do in the past would have the butterfly ripple effect on whatever was going on in the Americans as well. So it's almost like a thread that's kind of like very quickly. I mean, it opens for film and then is brushed under the carpet very quickly and never really thought about again. So you think there's probably there's too many holes in it for it to be like a a strong. I think there's good ideas uh, and there's good there's good elements and there's good bits. I just don't know if it sort of hangs together that well. I mean, and for a lot of people, that's, that's not really that important, important because it's, it's, a, it knows what it is. It's not making, it's not inception. It's not like making, you know, it's not interstellar. It's not making high-minded treaties on time travel and philosophical dilemmas and what it is to be human or things like that. It's, it's a rip-roaring action film starring Belgium's finest. So I guess it's kind of what you want to take from it or
0: your, your expectations. <laughs> <laughs> kevin de <Bruyne>. yeah exactly <laughs> okay fair enough well yeah i i guess we're we, we need a do you know what this falls on i was going to pull out an auxiliary trope but then the shit technology in the shit car really wound me up
1: <laughs> are you, you reneging scene, on
0: the final scene of the film the he block. goes back to his house and for some reason he can't remember he's had a family Oh my God! How have we not touched
1: on this? Oh my God! This this is such. This could be a trope all in of itself. Yeah, because he he comes home and he's basically got like what? It's like six, seven year old child who he has like no idea who this kid is. So it's not like the magical osmosis catch up of about time where they just seem to know or don't know like what they've changed in the past. He's now landed with a wife who's pregnant with their second kid, and he doesn't even know what this little boy's name is. Like he doesn't know it. The kid like runs up to him and he like picks him up. He's like, Mom says we're gonna make hot dogs on the barbecue right.
0: okay. Hey Dad. Hey you <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hey, son
0: <laughs> oh, barbecue.
1: Like, how fucked up is that? He's basically Oh god, how am I how I mean I'm not gonna lie, uh, Max Walker's character doesn't instill me with the confidence that he's gonna be able to blag the five years he's not aware of, of that child's existence and convincingly blag his way through. Well, it
0: seems that scene with the shite car out the front—it's <laughs> all about the shite car. Has landed poor old time cop with a a dystropia.
1: Oh, ouch! I really snatched thought we de- had heading...
0: snatched defeat from the jaws of victory.
1: I thought we were heading for a draw and, a, and an auxiliary uh, trope there. I really did.
0: That As... final scene with that shit car. Ah. Oh. I mean I mean that's, folks, that... watch 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 the ending. And it's just it zooms out, pans out of his this beautiful townhouse. And then that's just there. <laughs> keep keep, keep, zooming, just the keep
1: zooming. Keep zooming, keep <laughs> zooming. away, pad away. Um <laughs> Yeah, um yeah, it's almost unforgivable the Homer car. Um it's but but ugly. I hope that's in a museum somewhere. Um maybe it was the inspiration for the Homer car. I mean that would that would be something. Um but that's trope storming, folks. Um, quite honestly, we don't know how this is going to pan out until we've done it. So you win some, you lose some. And unfortunately, Jean-Claude's Van Dam, uh, Dam Van, um, one of those was the right way around. That's uh, too much time travel to talk off on cross-eyed. Damn
0: car. Jean-Claude's damn car. His motor. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> it's let him down. Um, there you go. It's
0: not because he's not a great action hero.
1: Oh, no. We, he's He cleaned up on the, uh, the action hero trope there. And he's, He's got a, a fairly extensive back catalogue of uh action hero roles, including uh with Delph Lundrum in Universal Soldier.
0: And uh, uh aforementioned Tree Kicking Down in Kickboxer. So I'll salute you for that, sir. Indeed. You, you know, fine fine eighties, nineties action work there. He's he's and earned he's earned, you know, being put out to pasture drinking uh his weight in cause. Yeah, enjoy. Enjoy. Have one on us. Uh okay. So yeah, that's Trope stormers. Uh, that was 10, number 10. Shame me after to get ended on a dystopia, but, uh, you know, then the break sometimes. I'm mm. sure it will yield different results on our next anniversary or potentially not. You never know. You just don't
1: know. Um, obviously, dear listener, if you think we're wrong, um, please let us know your thoughts. Uh, our scoring system is wholly unscientific and uh, subjective. Um uh, you can let there's us know there's
0: grounds for appeal this week I think
1: <laughs> <laughs> make a case you know you're, you're probably wrong but you're, feel free to make the case um, but yes um, as we said at the top of the show you can get in touch with us on the social medias we are at Tropestormers across Facebook Instagram Instagram and uh on twitter um we also you can write to us uh, at tropestormers at gmail.com and we're also on the Tinterweb with the brianstormers.net website which we share with our father podcast
0: the half-life of brian excellent excellent stuff fine work there sir right then well that leaves us with just enough time to say as we always say here on tropestormers bernard the basic bitch bye-bye for now take care goodbye Pervin, it's some VR porn. That did not happen to me in the workplace.